Well, this week we uh, started reading through the book of Acts, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I enjoyed reading the book of Acts more than I ever have. Um, you know, each each year as you read through these books, I don't know, maybe as it, as it uh, goes with your life more and more, maybe as you grow closer to him, it just seems like you get it, you get more of it, and you want more of it. And, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but have you ever noticed how sometimes you'll read a passage and then that day it seems like everything you experience goes exactly with the passage you read that morning? I mean, for me, I was I, I was with this uh, missionary pilot last week, and and we're going to these tribes and visiting a couple of these tribes that had just been reached for the gospel. And he's is telling me these stories about how he would land in these tribes, and and it was like they were waiting for him because there were people there who actually had visions the week before that that said, "Gosh, we we, we had this dream. Our, our 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 tribal leader had this dream that someone was going to come and tell." us about this God, you know, tell us about him. And, and I thought, wow, this is just like what I read that morning, like in Acts chapter nine, where you have God speaking to Saul, you know, but then, then he was going to use Ananias and he's preparing Ananias. Hey, go talk to this guy, Saul. I'm telling Saul, go talk to this guy, Ananias. We're going to put this all together. And then, and then in chapter 10, where you've got, uh, Peter, you know, getting his vision at the same time that Cornelius is being told, hey, go find this guy, Peter. And, and it's just God orchestrating and bringing these people together so that they can understand, so they can hear the gospel, you know, the full gospel for the first time. Man, as I'm reading the book of Acts, um, and this happens quite a bit when I read this book, I just feel a little restless um, in a good way. I mean, I mean, when you read the book of Acts, isn't there so much of you that just goes, I think there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more that I can experience. I think there's more to my faith than I'm than I'm experiencing right now. I think there's there's more of Jesus than I could physically like experience. More of the Holy Spirit's power that I can be uh, inactive in, in with. Uh, and and I, I I think about uh, the church, and I go, God, I just think there's so much more to the church. As I read this book, I just go, God. I want this. It's it's not like a guilt. It's 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 like a good restlessness, um, and I hope the Word of God is doing that to you too, where you 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 feel hopeful, like Lord, I knew there was more. I read this book and I go, okay, there's more, and let me pursue this. You know, when I look at the love of those early followers, um, I, I always just hunger for it. There's just something about it where I go, gosh, I want to be a part of that. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Listen, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And none said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to to each as any had need. I mean, look at the words as they describe that early church where he says the full number, the full numbers, like everyone was on board, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Doesn't that just sound so appealing to you? Wouldn't you love that kind of unity with other people where you just go, man, we are, all of us are of one heart and soul. And then it says, and no one, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. (laughs) Look at that complete buy-in. No one was like, okay, well, I'm not going to give this up. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. He says, no, no one thought that way. They were of one mind. They were unified. Isn't there something in you that goes, gosh, I would love to be a part of a group like that. Is that really possible? Man, how could we read this and believe, well, no, that was only for back then. I mean, isn't this everything that Jesus was talking about in the Gospels where he's, even his prayer in John 17 is like, I'm I'm praying that they would be perfectly one. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. He says in John 17, that's his prayer. That's Jesus' prayer. May they be brought to complete unity. And then what do we have here in Acts 4? The full number were of one heart and soul. And no one said that what was theirs was truly theirs. Everything's in common. Um, Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. There's not a single person in need. Perfect love, perfect unity, just like what Jesus prayed for. Why on earth would we think that that is not possible today? Why on earth have so many people just given up on that dream? I mean, I get it. I get it. We're not perfect. We fight. We quarrel. But we've got to fight for this unity. We've got to believe for this. See, this is the restlessness because I know there's more love to be experienced in the church. And then I look at their courage. And I go, gosh, there's more, there's more courage available for us. I mean, you, you read uh, chapter 4 earlier in verse 13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, people were shocked by uh, the courage of Peter and John, the boldness. You see it later in verse 18, it says, They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
So you got these people that are, are amazed by their boldness because they're being told, they're being told by the authorities, hey, stop talking about Jesus. It's the opposite of what we do in the churches today. We're begging people, please, 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 just say one word about Jesus. And yet you have these, these bold, bold disciples that even when the authorities are telling them, don't speak anymore, they're going, how can we do that? You tell me what's right. Just because you don't want me to speak about Jesus, who should I obey, you or God? And then you have that amazing uh, story just uh, uh, in the next chapter. In, in um, chapter 5, same type of thing happens. And in verse 40, it says, When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So here you have these disciples that are so brave, but they so got it. Their mind was not on the things of the earth. It was, on, it was on heavenly things. And it says when they were beaten, what did they do? They rejoiced. I mean, that's exactly, again, what we just read about in the disciples. When Jesus told his disciples the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, when they persecute you, blessed are you. He says, rejoice in that day. And then again, here you have the fulfillment of it. These guys are beaten and they're rejoicing. We, we read later about Paul, you know, nothing was going to quiet him down. Whether they beat him, flogged him, or stoned him and left him to die, he just kept going, going, going. And I know for a lot of us, the natural response is guilt. Like, God, I'm not like that. Why am I so scared? Why this? Why this? Why this? But I want us to get beyond that. And, and look more at hope and, and say, God, I know by the power of your spirit I can become like this. I'm seeing this example make me more like this. And then there's the story of Stephen um, in Acts chapter 7. You talk about courage. I mean, you read his speech and the way he just boldly proclaimed truth. And he didn't care about the consequences. This type of courage we just we need to see more of in the church. We need to see more of in our lives. In Acts 7, verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, when they heard Stephen, it says, They were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Okay, isn't that what Jesus said would happen? In uh, John 15, he goes, When they hate you, keep in mind they hated me first. John 15, 26, you know, if they persecuted me, they're going to they're gonna persecute you also. And so here Stephen's talking, and it says they're enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But it says in verse 55, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments 
at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There's so much in that, isn't there? I mean, these people are angry at him. They're ready to kill him. But then he looks into heaven and he actually gets to see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I mean, isn't this what Jesus said at the end of Matthew? When he says, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you and surely I will be with you. See, wasn't Jesus was going to die, ascend into heaven, never to be seen again. He says, no, I'm going to be with you. And here you have Stephen obeying that great commission, going, no, I'm going to speak up for him. And what does he see? He sees Jesus with him. And then just look at the way it ends when these people are stoning him to death. And what are his words? Lord, don't hold this against them. Wow, where have we heard that again? Where have we heard that before? I mean, these people were living just like Jesus. See, as we love, as we suffer for the mission, and we have this kind of courage, man, it's, it's going to happen where we get to experience God and we get to experience this kind of power. I mean, and if you look back, I mean, again, in Acts 4, in verse 29, look at their prayer. It says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, it wasn't just about them mustering up more boldness and feeling guilty about not being bold. The truth is, is they were bold people, but they also gathered together to pray and say, God, give us boldness. Con give us boldness to continue to speak with boldness. Stretch out your hand. We want to see your power. And then imagine, can you imagine being in a room? with people who genuinely believed and their prayers were not for their own desires like oh god my foot kind of hurts help me with this oh god you know what i'd like to make a little bit more money so my kids could play soccer you know it's just it's not just about comfort but their prayer was god we want to be more bold give us more courage and and remember this is right after the people were already astonished about their courage they're praying for more of it. And imagine praying for that with your friends. And then suddenly, as they're praying, the place is shaking. Don't you long for that? The type of prayer where you go, God just heard us. And, and maybe the greater miracle that they left and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak 
the word of God with boldness. I don't think I need to say that most of us lack boldness big time. So many of us, so many of you listening to this, you know you're cowards. But I've got to ask, when's the last time you gathered with people who were just sold out for Jesus and you in total faith prayed and begged God for more boldness so that you continue being about his mission? I mean, you got to remember how this book starts. You know, they're waiting in that upper room. They're praying. And Jesus told them, look, don't leave this room and try to do it by yourself. You'll ruin everything. Just wait for the gift. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. And so could it be that we're not really believing these words and we're not really believing the power of the Holy Spirit and that's why we're not really being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how often I'll read the scripture and then Everything I experienced that day will coincide with it. And, and this week, being overseas and seeing uh, people who, who live so congruently to the book of Acts, where I go, it really is a continuation. There ha- doesn't have to be this gap, because I think many of us read this book, the book of Acts, and, and we look at our lives and go, gosh, I don't even know how to make sense of it. It just seems so far from what I'm experiencing, what I'm living. That's why it was so cool this week to look at people and go, man, they're actually living it out. It looks a lot like I could I could put their stories and throw them in this book and go, man, there, there's no difference. And, and again, in the past, I felt guilt about these things. But this time it's like, no, there, there's, there's hope. There's excitement, like, God, there's more. There's more to experience. I think about this one couple that, okay, maybe I felt a little bit guilty. I look at their life because they're just so amazing. But but really, the majority of it was hope where I just started praying, oh, God, make my wife and I more like this couple. You have the power to do this. Give me their courage. Give me their love. Give me their power because it's so much like Jesus. He was telling about when he met his wife and she was a professor, you know, of Hebrew. And uh, and, and he went and visited her and he was at her place. And, and he said the first time he went over there, there were a dozen girls that she had pulled off the street that were living in her apartment. A dozen girls, he's walking over these mattresses and and she just made it clear. She just says, look, if you're going to get involved in a relationship with me, this is what my life is about. 
It's about caring for the poor. It's about telling them about the love of Jesus. And so now she's in the, the red light district talking to sex workers. And, and I saw her with 120 of these women. And she's living with them now. And she's telling me their stories about being sold when they were children. I mean, can you imagine just being sold by your parents for food? And, and you're just off being abused by these people. And some of them have been sold four or five five times before they end up on the streets and then start selling their bodies even more just to survive. And then here she comes along giving them shelter, giving them skills, teaching them how to how to make money and teaching them about the God who could change everything, the God who can heal them of all their past and their hurts. Meanwhile, he's out in the villages finding water and food and mosquito nets, and he's starting schools amongst the poor. And he's had over 10,000 of these students go through his, his schools, and he's preaching Jesus to them all. And then, and then on the weekends, when they have any free time, they'll go to some of these tribes that are warring and they'll, and they'll try to bring reconciliation and the gospel to them. And, and they would tell me stories. He told me stories about times when they started to get hostile and his wife just felt like she heard the Holy Spirit. And she would just get on her knees and start washing their feet. And, and the stories he would tell me about how the Holy Spirit would just fall in that place. And I'm going, this is just like what I read about. And, and then he's talking about this one tribe that he got so fired up about because he said, man, it broke his heart when he found out there was only 25 families left in this tribe who spoke that original language. And it wasn't just a dialect, it was a language. And he says the reason why it bothered him so much was that they were dying, you know, because every time they went to get water, the crocodiles would eat them, or, or they were dying of malaria because of the mosquitoes. And But what broke his heart was he thought, man, if this language group dies out, then there could be a language on this earth in which Jesus is not worshipped. And he says it was almost like a panic because he thought about Revelation 7, 9 and, and about how, how Christ was to be worshipped by every language on earth. And he thought about Acts 1, 8 and how we were to be as witnesses to, to the ends of the earth. And so he immediately, you know, got a well dug for them and mosquito nets just going, I've got to keep them alive so they can hear the gospel so that Jesus would be worshipped in that language. I think, gosh, how many days do I wake up and think about me? How many days do we just pray about stuff that we want rather than really pray? No, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. God, I want your name. I know you want your name to be worshipped in every language. So let me get to those who've been unreached. Let me help those. If there's a language in which Jesus is not worshipped, let me be a part of changing that. I know some of you are listening to this and you're going, yeah, but that's people in third world countries. I live here and, and we can make so many excuses for why we don't live like they do. And my question is, why do you want to make excuses? Why not instead go, 
God, I know that type of lifestyle is available to me. I know that this power, this courage, this love that I see in the book of Acts is available to me. That's how we should be reading the scriptures. And maybe we start by by imitating some of the things they've done. You know, in Acts 2, 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know, what if we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching? I mean, that, that, that's really what we're, we're trying to get you to do right now, is get alone with the scriptures. Look at what the apostles wrote. Look at the gospels. Look at the book of Acts. Look at the epistles. Devote yourselves to this. But it's, it's not just doing it alone. It's as they, they devoted themselves to, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. You see, it was that unity. Could it be that, that God wants you just to gather with devoted believers? See, it's not enough just to be alone. I know that that's, that's what this podcast is about, is we want people alone in the presence of God but it doesn't stop there. It has to start there, but it can't stop there. See, from being alone with the Lord, he wants you to be a part of a community and to be devoted to that fellowship, to pursue that type of unity where you could care less about your stuff, but care about these people and you sell your stuff as people are in need because you love them so much and that and then to create these pockets where no one claims any of his stuff as his own and then and the full number of the people there of one heart and of one soul, of one mind, that type of unity that Jesus prayed for, and to devote yourselves, it says, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, it's it's about coming together collectively. It's like the disciples did back then, and praying for his power. It's celebrating the, what the Lord has done on the cross through the breaking of bread, being devoted to that, not just taking it once a month at a church service, but being a group, a group of people who are devoted to that, who pray like the disciples did in the upper room, just like they did when they prayed for courage and the room was shaken. So I just encourage you as we continue to read through the book of Acts, don't make excuses. Don't say, well, we can't be like this. Instead, say, God, this gives me great hope. I want to be a part of this. I don't want my life to be so distant from the word of God.